This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Proof that you do miss the con when you're gone. It's episode 234 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. Did make the trip to New York Comic Con this year, so if you went on out there, make sure you're sending us your pictures. You want to hear your accounts. Definitely missing you there, but hopefully next year we'll be able to find our way to New York. And I will say, you know, it's not like we're done with con season, right? We will see you down there at some point down the road. But we have got a busy show this week. Going to be talking to the cast and producers of The Flash, of course, from DC. Going to be premiering this upcoming week, so we'll find out all the things that we need to know about this upcoming season. Also, going to be giving my spoiler-free review. Yes, an early review of Titans from DC Universe. Is it worth it? We're going to find out and a whole bunch more stuff starting things off with comics. So what we're reading next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, what's up? This is writer Sam Humphries, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Fire up that laptop, pull out the tablet or the long box, whatever you're reading on. It's time for what we're reading and an interview that we had with Sam Humphreys at San Diego Comic-Con this past year for a book that we have been waiting for ever since. It's Blackbird, number one from Image Comics, of course, by Sam Humphreys, art by Jen Bartell, who also lends a hand on colors as well. Paul Reinwand in a book, in a book about magic. Perfect. He's doing the layouts for you. Nayang Wilson on the colors and Jody Wynn on the letters. Now, this follows Nina and Marissa, who are sisters that are caught up in a traumatic event that happens in their lives. And they realize that magic exists. Not only that, magic kind of reveals itself during this whole event, or at least the beginning part of it. There's a personal tragedy for them. It comes a little bit later on in the book. But only Nina actually remembers that magic exists. And that is the funny thing, because now you fast forward 10 years later, and she's still having a hard time adjusting to life and still is the only one that thinks that magic exists. And she talks about it a lot, and she does a lot of research on it. And of course, you know, you know, the world thinks that she's the crazy one, right? But she's been trying to figure out what's going on ever since. And it's really kind of slammed the brakes on her life a little bit. I mean, she's living with her sister, It's definitely not going well. She's got a crap job that she doesn't like. So it's almost like the typical 
you know, young adult down in your life story. But then she discovers something on her way home from work after a chance encounter that she actually has in her job that she kind of blew off at the time. And you feel like once this happens, this is the turning point in the book. It's You're like, okay, this is when the light switch flips on. And this is when things really start to get cooking, but not in the way you think. It really it, that it is kind of that, based on what we know from this first issue, anyway. But you get an emotional confrontation with her sister at that point because of something that is a very, very serious issue. I mean, in society, not just in the book. And it was really emotional because you get one thing that Sam Humphreys did really well, and Jen Bartell on the art, which really lent itself to this. What's created the emotional attachment between these sisters, Nina and Marissa, you really feel attached to these characters right away in the beginning of the book, not just because of what happens to them when they're younger, but because of just the way they're now. They're very likable. And when you feel them, when they're fighting, you know how when you, you, when you have two very close friends or relatives and they're fighting, it's really uncomfortable. You just want them to get along, right? But it's just not working. So that's what's kind of happening here. And you feel uncomfortable. And then something happens that actually is a major callback to the beginning of this book. And I love that they threw that in there. And it was a really surprising turn of events. And it's Nina's reaction to what happens. It's a very conflicted reaction. And I really love that because there, it could have been a really simple thing, right? Where they, where you could have just t- taken it at its surface for what happened. I know I'm dancing around spoiler free. I'm really trying here. You could have taken it at face value, but it really explores a different side of the coin in her reaction, and it's almost selfish in a way. But I like that 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 angle was also played up. But there was a duality there that Sam Humphreys and the crew played with that I thought it made it even more impactful and makes the next issue matter even more. Actually, now that I think about it, there's actually two callbacks in the first part of this issue, and it's almost like a well was Nina part of this whole thing all along and she just didn't know it'll be more understandable when you read this book which you absolutely should it was great and Jen Bartel's art is absolutely gorgeous not just in the people themselves but the 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 landscapes and when we do get kind of a in-between worlds kind of shot that much I can tell you very very good art there as well so I I really wanted to love Blackbird number one and I did. Not a whole lot of magic in this first issue, but I just, I'm itching to find out what's coming because I know it is. Speaking of magic, we are going to jump into the Shades of Magic. And if that sounds familiar, that's right. This is a V.E. Schwab story. It's the Steel Prince number one from Titan Comics. And V.E. Schwab does do the writing. The rest of these names terrify me to my very core, so I'm going to do my best here. Andrea Olama Pieri does the art. Erica Aaron Angiolini does the colors, and Rob Steen does the letters, and Claudia Ignaciello does the cover art. Sorry for butchering the names. I mean, I'm famous for that on this show. If you don't know that by now, you certainly know by what just happened. Now, for fans of the Shades of Magic novels, this does follow the backstory of Maxim Marish, who is the king of Arnis, if you read the books. But in this book, he is still the prince, who has been banished by his father to Veros, which is a city on the Blood Coast, where whether you know these stories or not, you go, you send somebody to something called the Blood Coast, probably not great, right? And he's supposed to be kind of the ruler 
of that land. I, it's dad teaching me a lesson. Basically, maybe this is a little bit of a spoiler, so I'll give you a tiny warning here. There's three worlds of magic, and they've kind of been closed off from each other on purpose. And the reasons are explained in the beginning of the book, so I won't go ahead and get into that with you now. But so dad ships him off to to the coast because he kind of wants to, Maxim wanted to, take those berries down and open up these worlds. And he had his reasons, and I think they're pretty valid, but Dad didn't think so, and that's why he seems to have been cast off. Now, he's smart enough to know, you know, you're a royal. You can't just waltz up in an area called in the Blood Coast and let people know, hey, royalty's here, please come rob me and kill me kind of thing. So he decides to try and hang back and enter in another way, but that doesn't really end up working out either because, I mean, you're still in a place where... There's thieves and all kinds of crazy stuff going on. He does have an interesting confrontation with a thief, but it turns out that that something happens right after that. And and all of a sudden, you're right into the fray. And it's not magic-heavy, but there are certainly magical elements within this, but there is quite a battle that happens as a result of this. And there's a who's a friend and who's a foe type of thing right off the bat. But I can tell you that Maxim is a badass and can definitely handle himself but it turns out he's not as well disguised to one particular person that he runs into while they're in this battle and we find that out a little bit later on this very nice conversation that those two have after the fact and again i don't really want to reveal too much here now what we do get is the question of who it was that attacked them and fans of the books are going to see a very familiar face at the end of this one someone that's connected to Maxim in his past, as far as I can remember from the Shades of Magic books anyway. For anyone who's a huge fan of the books, maybe bigger than me, correct me if I'm wrong on that once you read this. Is who I'm seeing who I think I'm seeing? And it is actually mentioned in the very beginning in the description of the book because I don't want to ruin it for anybody else if I'm wrong. So correct me if I'm wrong. Tweet me at down in 3757 Tweet the show and correct me so I can make that correction. But I got to tell you, I was very entertained by the book. Even if you're not a fan of the Shades of Magic series, I think you can really appreciate this for what it is. It is a good story, so you can follow that along. The art team involved, very good. Not as good as Blackbird. I will say that Blackbird, I thought the art was really on another level and a fantastic job, but take nothing away from Shades of Magic. And when you're a fan of novels, it's it's good to get illustrations and, you know, what would these characters look like sort of thing. And I, I'm sure there have been, you know, there have been some character illustrations for these books in the past and fan art and things of that nature. But once you're seeing it from the creator themselves, it really does give that a little bit of an extra edge, doesn't it? So I'm, I'm very excited to jump into more of Shades of Magic. This might actually make you want to go read the novels, actually, if you haven't done that yet. And I got a chance to chat with V.E. Schwab a little bit at San Diego Comic-Con as well. And she does some great work. And she's very excited about what's upcoming. So, I mean, give her a follow on Twitter as well and see what she's up to. That's going to do for what we're reading this week. Up next, it's time to dive into the DC Universe. It's my spoiler-free review of Titans next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Drew Powell from Gotham on Fox. You're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Time to enter the DC Universe and a very, very different one at that because it's my spoiler-free review of the first couple of episodes 
of Titans on DC Universe, of course, from the streaming service, the first original series. And again, I want to go spoiler free here because, you know, I've been asked to not reveal any specific plot points or anything like that. And I think that's fair. You don't want me to spoil this for you before it even comes out next week. Of course, it comes out on October the 12th. But as far as what I felt when I was watching this series, especially the first episode, is first of all, you, you understand that there's some heat between between Dick Grayson and Bruce Wayne Batman. And you they definitely do touch on that right away in this in the series. So I just to let you know that right away, you're gonna find out what's going on there, why Dick is on his own, why he is where he is, and what he's doing. And what he's doing is actually I mean, this is a very dark and brooding Dick Grayson. I could tell you that much right now. I don't know if you caught that from the trailer. But this is definitely a very different Dick Grayson that you're going to expect to see. There's a lot of anger there, and and it really, really plays itself out in these first couple of episodes. And that's one thing I will say for Titans as a whole, is that you have to go into this show with an open mind and and just let them tell their story. Because if you go into this thinking, oh, I really hope the characters are like this arc, or I really hope this is the Dick Grayson that we get, or this is the Starfire we get. You're, you're, if you go in there with preconceived notions, I'm not going to say you're going to be disappointed because I don't want to put that out there, but I will say that this is not something you're going to expect if you're a fan of the comics, necessarily. There are some elements in there that do make sense from the comics. I'm not saying this is a complete and total departure totally, what I am saying is that they are definitely telling their own story here and you've either got to let them do that or you're not going to and you're, and you're going to be upset. I'm just going to set you up for that right now. So if you were a little iffy on the trailer, it does play itself out in these first couple of episodes. I'll tell you what I thought of it overall here towards the end. So I'll give you my overall thoughts and whether I liked it or whether I didn't. But let's dive in to the characters once again. Raven is probably the most interesting character of all of them so far in this in these early episodes anyway because Raven is basically a kid and she's scared and she has no idea what's happening to her or why and she just wants help she's a scared kid that wants help and i think that that is not necessarily too far off base from the character especially this is a very early introduction to the titans as well so you expect her to be a little young you expect her to be a little green she's not necessarily I nah, I can't say that. See, there's she's just very green. Let me just put it that way. She's she's very green, and she's also got her own set of anger issues, and she suffers a couple of pretty big traumas right away in these first couple of episodes. And you can understand the way she feels, why she feels the way she does, and she seeks out Dick Grayson for a reason. That's all I can really tell you on that. There's a reason that she seeks him out, and it's very shocking when he finds out what she knows about him already. That's a very interesting part in all this, but Dick's kind of built up a reputation of helping kids, and you can understand why, given his backstory. Now, I want to move on to Starfire for a second, because Starfire, if you were upset about the look that was presented for Starfire, and I can understand, but you know, I always say, you know, let's wait for a trailer. Let's wait for the first episode. Let's see Let's see something before we move on and pass judgment. I will say that this is definitely D 
different from any other version of Starfire you've probably seen before. Correct me, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't recall Starfire being the way that she is in this in these episodes. Because, man, let me tell you, I mean, so much of a departure from the character that you see in the comics, for the most part, at least I feel that way anyway. Now, there might be a reason for that, and there is a... I can't really say why, because again, I can't reveal any plot points here. So I can't tell you why, but there there might be a reason that she's acting completely out of character from what you're expecting. That much I can tell you. And it sort of slowly starts to unravel itself, and there's a name that you'll really recognize from her story, especially if you're a fan of Arrow, definitely a different version of that character. But if you watch Arrow, the name will definitely be familiar to you. So you'll get an idea of what she's involved in and what's going on and how her path is going to possibly lead her to the Titans themselves. So while this is a very complete departure of the character, and she's also very green as well, and maybe that's part of the reason why things are going on the way where they are. So again, is if you were upset about the look of the character, the first episode you're going to be upset. I'm just going to I'm warning you right now, you will definitely be upset with what you've seen with what you're going to see if you're a diehard Star Starfire fan. But again, if you go into this with an open mind, you don't necessarily have to be upset because even in the first couple of episodes, you don't really know where things are going to go. And we don't see them come together right away. I can tell you that for sure. So this is definitely a bit of a slow burn as well. As far as Beast Boy goes, I mean, we get you you almost get nothing of Beast Boy in the first couple of episodes. That much I can tell you too. You do get something that's very quick and you kind of get the vibe of, okay, yeah, this is, this is Beast Boy. If there's a character that right away to me seems like they're going to be true to what you know as a Titans fan... It's Beast Boy, and maybe that is very fitting. Now, I'm not saying that Dick Grayson is out of character at all, because I think that this is something that what you're seeing play out is sort of how Dick Grayson has reacted to certain situations in the past as well. So while the show is definitely more brutal than you would think, I mean, it's it's Marvel Netflix brutal as far as the as far as the fighting and the violence is concerned. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. I mean, it's all it's it's a rated M for sure. No question about it. You want to talk about, talk about a hard R. This is a hard R, especially as you roll into the second episode. And I've seen the first few episodes, and you get the the arc with Hawk and Dove. If there was a hard R to be had, it is definitely in that episode, in that second episode as well. And that even furthers the relationship between Raven and Dick Grayson as well. And Raven finds out something else about Dick's past that is very very important in the second episode. Actually, something very shocking happens in the second episode as well. So, I mean, my overall thoughts as far as what I've seen so far, I'm intrigued. And I think one of the reasons I'm intrigued so much and the ones that, one of the reasons that I like this was that it was a surprise and it was something different. And I'm not going, oh, so that scene was from that page of this particular Titans comic. Or, oh, that I remember that from that. No, there are certain elements there that make sense. But what it's telling is a story of okay, there's one angle of how the Titans came together and how each of these characters felt and the reasons that they left the situation that they did. Now here's another way. Here's how it could have gone kind of thing. And I feel like that's what they're doing here. And 
I think that that's really exciting that they that they have the balls to tell a different story and try something new with these characters and while still giving a certain feel like first of all the action in this in this show is top notch the choreography is right there on par with anything that you're going to see in TV or even some of the movies for that matter it the fight choreography is on par and there are definitely a lot of very strong emotions at play here in these first few episodes as well. So my advice to you if you're upset with the first episode, first of all, absolutely keep watching and go on to the second episode. Be willing to peel the onion here because while we haven't seen a huge payoff in the first couple of episodes, I don't think as far as the team coming together and being the Titans, right? There's a slow burn going on here, and there's nothing wrong with that because it's a slow burn, but it's not boring. And that's the thing. If you're going to give me a slow burn, make it interesting. Give me a reason to stick around. And that's exactly what they're doing. Because what you're seeing is, is that, yeah, you're not getting the Dick Grayson that maybe you're expecting to get. But you're waiting for that corner to turn. For a lot of these characters, you're thinking, okay, so this might not be the character that I think they are. But... The, I, I I feel like there's that light bulb moment that's going to come and the corner is going to get turned and all of a sudden things are going to start to feel familiar. And you're like, that's the Titans I know. That's the Titans I love. But they get there in a different way. And I think that that's okay. And that's one thing that we need to realize is that that is okay. That they're not just going to get there the way that Marv Wolfman told you years ago. And there's nothing wrong with what with what the Titans of old were presented as. Absolutely not. This is a very different version. Maybe not as different as you might think. I'm not saying that this has no basis in the comics whatsoever. Don't get me wrong. And I've not read every page of every Teen Titans comic either. So maybe there's a story that you're more familiar with than I am. But this is a very different take and a very different Titan story that if you allow yourself to enjoy... I really, really think you will because I do. The acting is definitely good as well. It's not corny. It's not cheesy. A couple lines maybe that are a little bit cheesy, but it's a very deep emotional story in the beginning. And if you allow it to be told, I think you'll be very, very happy with the results that you get because the action alone is top notch. And if you were, you're not going to be upset if you got the DC Universe streaming service just to see Titans for the first time. I could tell you that much right now because you will be shocked one way or another about this very first episode. That much I can guarantee you. I, for one, can't wait to see more. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of the first couple of episodes of Titans from DC Universe. Up next, we will get to some nerd news, maybe some early New York Comic Con stuff. Let's do it next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. 
Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shamblers still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. This is Karen Ashley from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. Since there's a lot to talk about from New York Comic Con, let's start spreading the nerd news. And how can we not start with the Star Wars TV series that's going to be coming to Disney Play in 2019? That's right. John Favreau, first on his Instagram, revealed that the title of the show would be The Mandalorian, and it will be written and produced by Favreau himself. Now, one of the part of the description that's a quote from the post is after the stories of Jango and Boba Fett, another warrior emerges in the Star Wars universe. Now we know this will be set after the fall of the Empire, but before the First Order. So kind of an in-between type show. And this will follow a lone gunfighter on the outer reaches of the galaxy. Now all that came from Favreau's Instagram page. Then we find out later from Lucasfilms that production has begun and we actually get a first look at what we believe to be is the Mandalorian himself or herself. We're, we don't even know that yet for sure. Now, what with the first look, if you haven't seen it yet, it really looks like a modified Boba Fett suit with what looks like a really large rifle on the back. It's pretty cool. If you're a Boba Fett fan, you are going to be all over this. And then we also know now that Taika Watiti from Thor Ragnarok is going to be involved in this somehow as well. So what what seems on the surface anyway, like something that's going to be really dark and really serious, but then you see that Taika Waititi is involved and you're like, okay, maybe this will have some lighthearted elements. And of course, you know, John Favreau is no stranger to stuff that's lighthearted as well. So, I mean, as far as first looks go, this is a pretty good one. And as far as the description goes, I like the outer reaches of the galaxy part because it's like, okay, we are going to be kind of talking about a subject matter from the Star Wars, um, from, excuse me, from the Skywalker saga that's going to be familiar to you, but we're going to try and push it as far away into the outer reaches as possible to kind of make it its own thing. So it's almost like you're you're thinking outside the box, but you can still see the box, I guess, kind of thing. So you don't want to stray too far from it. And that's understandable, I guess. You don't want to go too far out there and, 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 you know, take too many chances, I think, with this first one. So I'm all in on what I've seen so far. Again, it's very, very little, and we will find out what's going to be happening with the show when it is released in 2019. But I mean, so far, so good as far as I'm concerned. Now let's move on to a little bit of trailer talk. Of course, we got a first look at the Harley Quinn animated series. It's going to be coming very late in 2019 that we found out. And we also found out We've got a new Harley. It's Kaylee Cuoco from The Big Bang Theory. She's going to be the voice of Harley Quinn. I mean, there's an all-star cast for this show. I mean, we've got Christopher Merloni is going to be involved. You've got Jason Alexander from Seinfeld. You've got Ronald Funches is going to be involved. So many just very funny people that are going to be involved in the show. And we got the first look that was hilarious. I mean, poked fun at the, at the Deadpool animated series. That didn't come out. You've got Harley, the really super excited one for the show, saying it's going to be really funny. You've also got Poison Ivy, who says that people are going to hate it because nerds hate everything sort of thing. It was really funny. There was a lot of fourth wall breaking, and it seems like it's just going to be really 
off the wall fun. And what else would you expect from Patrick Schumacher and Justin Halpern anyway? Remember we had them on the show when we were talking about powerless and they were a fun, they were a fun group of guys. So I think that the right people are involved with this show that is just going to make it balls to the walls funny. I cannot wait for this Harley Quinn animated series. But the animation didn't stop there because we also got a look at finally a full trailer for She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. Now, what I love about this right off the bat is that Adora is actually part of the evil Horde. She's sent by Hordak to destroy the Princess's Rebellion. Now, she's never seen the outside world. She takes her friend Ketra with her. And we find out that she kind of finds her way into the Sword of Power almost by accident. And, you know, there's the whole the sword chooses you moment. And then the rest is history. And now she has no idea what's going on. And, by the way, they they do not shy away from the fact that the princess's army that finds her, they know she's part of the Horde. And now she basically has to prove her way to st- as to why she wants to fight against them. And there's a back and forth there. It's really quick in the trailer, but it's, you could see that that's definitely going to be dealt with. Another thing that looks like it's going to be dealt with is we're really going to tackle the princess stereotype here because that is kind of poked at in this trailer a little bit. I think it'll be really cool. And there's different kinds of princesses because there's a uh, there's a princess's alliance sort of thing that that is a princess's army and all they all have special skills and they want to put it back together again to go ahead and fight Hordak in the evil horde. So that makes sense why it's the princesses of power in the title. So it just set the stage very, very well. And I know that this is going to be targeted for a little bit more of a younger audience. So if you're a fan of the original She-Ra series from the 80s, then or the fan of the original She-Ra, it might be a little bit different for you, but... I mean, this is the same group that did the Voltron series in DreamWorks, and that worked out really well. I think this is going to work out just as well. I am super psyched for this new Shira series, and it just looks phenomenal. The animation looks really, really good on this. Some quick notes, again, from the DC Universe panel that they had, and actually some DC news in general. Matt Bomer, who you might remember from White Collar, is going to be voicing Negative Man in the Doom Patrol series. He's actually going to play... Larry Trainer, but voice negative man, kind of like Brendan Fraser is going to do with Robot Man. He'll do the voice there. So I, I've been waiting for Matt Bomer to be a part of the DC Universe for a while, and I am so glad that he finally is going to be. And you know, you look at the concept art from the Doom Patrol so far for the series. Apparently, there was a really quick look of them just kind of eating shown at New York Comic Con as well. So so far, so good for Doom Patrol. It looks like that will premiere after. Young Justice does, Young Justice Outsiders on DC Universe in 2019. Something else that was very interesting was a casting announcement of Rosie Perez as Renee Montoya in Birds of Prey. And I believe that was the rap or Hollywood reporter that was the source on that. Now, Rosie Perez, I feel like she's been an underrated actress for a while. I mean, I know that some some fans think her voice is really annoying, and I mean, I mean, I guess I get it. But, I mean, she certainly got some decent acting chops. The only criticism I have of this casting is you go with a very young Black Canary. You go with a very young Huntress. And now you go with a much older Renee Montoya. I just think that maybe she's a little bit too old to play the role. That doesn't mean she can't, you know, perform the action scenes or anything like that. I believe she she absolutely could. 
But I don't know about this one. Maybe there's a reason they're casting her older and it has something to do with what's going on in the script. But that is, this is the first casting announcement for this movie that's really given me pause. Of course, I talked about why I thought the Black Canary and Hunter's choices were good last week. But this one makes me go, I don't know. That just It seems odd that you would cast younger for the other two roles and then older for the Renee Montoya role. So, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here. That's something to be a little bit worried about. But again, it's not like Rosie Perez isn't a good actress. So I'm okay with that. What I'm super okay with, though, did you see the first look at Lobo from Krypton that's going to be coming up? Of course, it was announced earlier in the week that Emmett J. Scanlon would be playing the, the main man in the show. And then you get the first look... Not only is it 100% practical effects, which I think was super, super smart. I know that there was probably a little bit of a, of a, you know, a lean to maybe do a CGI with Lobo, but no, they're going to 100% practical effects. And while Scanlon's not a huge dude, he makes it work, and the look is almost 100% dead on from the comics as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I know that we haven't actually seen anything anything in action yet. You know, what can you really tell from a photo? I understand that. But, I mean, we freak out negatively about photos all the time. Why not be happy about a photo from time to time? So, as far as things look, and based on just looks alone, I like what I see. And I know that maybe you think he's not muscular enough or something like that. You know what? To me, as long as the look is right... That's all that really matters to me. And I think they really, really did get the look right. And you know, the guy can lift weights between now and then. I mean, it's a first look, for crying out loud. Let's not just let's not really get too, too up in arms about this. Another little something that kind of slipped under the radar so far as far as news was concerned for New York Comic Con so far is that Mega Man going to be getting a live action movie. Capcom released a press release about that. It's going to be written and directed by Henry Joost. And Ariel Schumann going to be for 20th Century Fox. Now, Shernan Entertainment, who did Planet of the Apes, is going to be involved in producing this. And Masioka from Heroes, you'll remember, is also going to be involved. Now, the release date has not been mentioned yet. I don't know if this is going to be part of the post-Disney 21st Century Fox deal or anything like that. Nothing about that was mentioned. But I think that Mega Man is a live-action movie that probably should have been done a long time ago, but I'm glad it wasn't because it seems like we're at least starting to figure out how we're supposed to do these video game movies. I feel like we're getting closer and closer to being able to do these right, and maybe now is the right time to do this. But then again, we've got... The, there was something mentioned in the press release of you know staying true to Mega Man but also using all of the amazing things that Hollywood has to offer. And to me, that's a little bit of a red flag saying, okay, that means CG is going to be a part of this. You absolutely 100% have to do practical effects for Mega Man suit. I'm sorry, you just do. And I mean, I know that there are certain sequences that maybe you're going to have to do in CG, but if this movie is overly CG, I think that's going to be a problem. And, and I say that being someone that, who, who's usually the flag waver for CG, and if you have it, why don't you use it? I think they should for this movie, and if they didn't, I would probably be a little bit upset about it. But the level and the amount of which they use it for is the one thing that's going to make me go, ah, be very, very careful what you wish for. And the age of the actor that's going to be playing Mega Man, that will be very, very interesting as well 
to see exactly where they go with that, where they fall in that age-wise. But they also said there's going to be a diverse cast, too, so it'll be very interesting to see what they do about that. Some quick comic book news. Looks like Brian Michael Bendis, once again, going to be very, very busy. They announced a new imprint for DC Comics. It's going to be called Wonder Comics. And it's going to target more of a teen audience, so they're going to release a Young Justice comic. There's going to be the Wonder Twins, which I'm sure will be a very much updated version of the Wonder Twins. Dial H for Hero. They're going to be announcing some more titles as well. So as if Bendis didn't already have enough on his plate with the Jinx World titles and other you know mainline DC titles he's doing, yet another imprint that he's going to be in charge of. And I think when you let Brian Michael Bendis do his thing, and I really think that this age group is kind of his wheelhouse, aside from the Jinx World stuff, which I think is really, really good. I think just letting Bendis be Bendis in his own world and not... I, I It's not like I haven't enjoyed the stuff that he's done with Superman and some of the other stuff that he's written, but it just seems like when he's allowed to be in his element, that's when he's the most comfortable. So I would just let Brian Michael Bendis do that and focus on that, and maybe that's what they're doing. Just let him have his own lane and let him go and do what he does because I think that that's those are the titles that are going to be the most successful. Also, a little bit of a surprise was that Outcast from Image Comics, Robert Kirkman and Paul as Seda, as a Seda, excuse me, is going to be ending starting with a final 12 issue run beginning in December on December 19th of this year. Now, that's going to be issue 37, I believe, so We're going to be stopping things right around the late 40s-ish, it seems like. It just seems like this is a book that could have gone on for a while. But again, like I said with Harrow County, when that ended for Dark Horse and Cullen Bunn and Company, was that you want it to end the right way. You could stretch it out, but why stretch it out? If you've got a final point for your story and you don't think dragging it out will benefit the overall story and how this book is remembered then don't force it. And I love the fact that they're doing that with Outcast. I remember reviewing the first issue of Outcast on the show, and as far as horror horror comics go, I would put it right up there with anything that's come on the shelves in the last five years. It's been a fantastic run. It made it onto Cinemax as a live-action series. Who knows how how long that will be living on. So, I mean, I think it's smart to end it now. If you feel like you've told the story that you wanted to tell, absolutely just go ahead and... End it now, and if and at least as fans now we know this will be ending in 12 issues, and it'll also give the creative teams a chance to kind of wrap things up in a neat little bow as well and give us the end of the story that we really deserve. So bravo to them for that. That's going to do it for Nerd News. Up next, going to be talking to the cast and producers of The Flash, going to be preparing, premiering this upcoming week on The CW this coming Tuesday. We'll chat with them about this upcoming season next on the Dan and Nerdy Podcast. This is David Sobolov, voice of Grodd on The Flash and Drax on Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. And you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. It is really hard to believe that we're already on season five of The Flash. Can you believe it? I mean, it's it's. there's been so many great stories. And season five, going to be telling another great one starting this Tuesday October the 9th, and I sat down with the cast and producers at San Diego Comic-Con 2018 this year, and the first up was Todd Helbing, who, of course, is the executive producer. The first question I got to ask him was, talk about the expansion of the Flash family and how that impacts things right away. Talk about the expansion of the Flash family that we got to reveal at the end of the last season and how that's going to impact right away in the beginning of this upcoming season. Yeah, so we, we, we're doing a direct pickup. 
um, you know, Nora just explained that, you know, who she is, that she screwed up majorly, and I think it has a ripple effect. It's fun. It's funny, we're not doing Flashpoint, right, but, but we're doing something that affects her future, and now that Barry has screwed up a, one or two times with that, with a little time travel uh, uh, eagerness, I guess you could call it, he's, he's sort of the coach, and he's trying to get... Um, her back in, 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 you know, like the timeline sort of back to where it needs to be. And it does, it causes a sort of ripple effect with everybody, but it's not, it's not quite flashpoint. The next question for Todd was, with the, the way the last season ended, where is Barry's character going this season? He, like I was saying before, he, he sort of took all the, he, you know, he would run into danger as always, I'm the flash, it's the brunt, like I, he would carry that weight on his shoulders and then it spread out to the team. And now it's really this parental weird situation he finds himself in. He's a parent to an adult who's almost as old as him and how he uh, interacts with them and, and, and one theme that we're, we're, we're uh, sort of exploring this year is legacy. So it's really the season is becoming, you know, what is more important to Barry, being the Flash or being a parent? Next up, it was time to talk to Nora Allen herself, Jessica Parker Kennedy. And the first question to her was, who is Nora and how will she sort of shake things up early on? Um, I think she's just kind of a awkward, silly, goofy person like her father certainly was in the beginning especially and you know I think she's she's a, a young woman who's made a big mistake and she's going to make lots more mistakes and her parents will be there hopefully trying to sweep up the messes that she's she's made um, yeah I, I think there'll be a lot of different adventures for her in, in season 5 coming up. Next up I got a chance to ask Jessica has your character had any interactions with any other of the, t- of the team outside of her immediate family? Your character's entering into a real extended family, not just her immediate family, in the team as well. So is there any interaction between some of the other characters on the show that have been interesting so far as you've achieved? Not yet, but I certainly hope that's to come. Um, I mentioned in another interview, I just really want to have one-on-one time with like everybody. Like I hope I get a scene where I get one-on-one time with, with Diddy and with Cisco. But, you know, it's an ensemble cast. It's really hard to do that, um, especially because my character is so involved with my mom and my dad. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping. I'm hoping that will happen because I, I think that would just that would be so fun and and it would it would be great to like expand Nora's relationship with all those people as well another question that was asked of Jessica is what are you looking most forward to in exploring the dynamic between Nora and her parents I'm looking forward to sort of figuring out the the, the issue I have with my mom I think Candace and I have had a really hard time kind of she's always just like honey 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 and I've had to be like yeah, you know, and it's hard for us to play because we really like each other, and um, we think you, we want to get, we want to get along on this show really badly. So I, I want that. I hope, I hope that's remedied as quickly as possible. You know, as much, as fun as it is to be like a daddy's girl, um, yeah, she's kind of just such a big fan of her father's. You know, I had to ask it even if she wasn't able to answer it. I asked Jessica what her experience level is for her character and her abilities coming up this season. Where is she at experience level wise? I mean, we know that she's screwed up. In some way. So yeah. What is her experience with her abilities? You'll you'll have to to watch to find that out. Yes, that's all I can say about that. What a boring answer. I would tell you more if I could. I absolutely would. Well, at least we know we'll find out. Yeah, you'll that's find out. Yeah, you'll find out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next up, it was the wonderful Danielle Panabaker, who of course plays Caitlin Snow on the show, and I asked her right away 
Would you still like to see Killer Frost just be bad? Because we've talked about that before. When we chatted in the past, you've talked about how Killer Frost, how you were kind of hoping that they would just let her be bad at some yeah, point. Is that sure. something you feel like is still on the table? Is that something you still really like to do? I hope so. I feel like, you know, sort of halfway through season four, they forgot about Killer Frost. And I'm excited for this season to get to explore you know, how she came to be a little bit more and what causes her. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, we haven't actually seen her be the killer of Killer Frost. Right, exactly. And um, I'd like to, again, explore everything and get to see her be the really bad guy um, and see what happens with them. Another question for Danielle was, how would you like to see Caitlin grow as a character this season? I think, you know, doing a little bit more self-exploration is good. Um, Maybe coming to peace with some of the stuff in her past. Personally, I'd really like to see her, I don't know, I guess this is growth, but like, you know, have there be growth in her relationship with Killer Frost. It felt like they were sort of communicating through post-it notes, but, you know, I'd like to understand a little bit more about how they feel about each other. You know what I mean? I don't know about you, but I've been waiting for Caitlin and Cisco's relationship to kind of get back to the way it used to be for a while. So I went ahead and asked Danielle if that might happen. Does that mean we're kind of going to kind of get back to the same relationship that Cisco and Caitlin had before they sort of had their, their falling out? I hope so. Um, I'd like to see more interaction between Caitlin and Cisco. It's one of my favorite relationships on the show. They feel very like brother sister to me. Um, so I'm hopeful that we'll get to see more of that. One of my favorite characters from this past season of The Flash was Hartley Sawyer's Ralph Dibney. So the first question asked of him when he sat down was, where do you think this character is going after the events of last season? I think it was, I sort of said that when Todd and I talked about it a lot last year, the idea behind season four Ralph, the first time we saw him in the show and in the universe, was I kept calling it the redemption of Ralph Dibney, which is sort of what the idea behind it was, that he started as this, this guy who had some very unlikable qualities, but he wasn't always that way. So the idea behind the season was bringing him over the course of 19 episodes or whatever, bringing him back to somebody who, in episode 18, when I died, he finally realized there were things out there again that were greater than himself, and he was fine to sacrifice himself for. I mean, that was the last thing he said to Barry, was like, you know, I'm fine. Like, he was fine to go. It was for the, all the right reasons. And it was so different than where we started with him, and that's something that I really appreciated and really liked. So I think him coming back in 23 and finding out that he was alive in the consciousness of, uh, of DeVoe, I don't think Ralph ever really expected to get out of it. And I think it's like a new lease on life in a very different way, and, you know, they became family to him, and so he's now back with his family. One of the big themes of season five is family, obviously with Nora coming in. So I think it's now with this new family unit and Nora being there and finding out what her deal is and everything like that. Um, Ralph's going to develop his relationships with his family and his extended family too. His family. Next up, I got to ask Hartley, are we going to see more of the evolution from reluctant hero to full hero in Ralph Dibney? Are we going to continue to see that evolution from reluctant hero to I don't want to be a hero to now full on hero with his character in this upcoming season? Yeah, we're going to see a lot more confidence with him as as a hero, um, and I think also we're going to explore, I know we're going to explore the detective aspect of the character, oh, very cool. which is something that I've been, I mean, I wanted to do that from like day one, yeah, yeah. and Todd was like, easy, 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 like let's, they did it in a really good way, they put the starting line way, way back, so that we had a, we have a lot of, we still have so much we can do with him, everybody keeps asking me about like Sue, like when's Sue coming in, and it's like, we gotta, you know, we'll get there, we'll get there, all that stuff, but we've got to develop him along the way, and I like that it's been a slow burn, rather than like, here he is, he's a master detective and he can stretch and do all this stuff it's like there's a lot more character development there a lot more juice in that squeeze yeah. for me than just bringing him in and having him be 
you know, all that he's going to be. You know, it's very interesting to see the interactions between the different characters. So somebody asked if we were going to get to see more of a relationship between Ralph and Cisco growing this season. They both want to say that quick thing, and they both do say that quick thing, and they're both like whatever funny and stuff like that. Um, but there's going to be a lot of bonding for the two of them. They're both single men. So we're going to see where that goes. And obviously uh, Cisco's trying to get over his heartbreak with Gypsy. So Ralph and, uh, and Cisco are going to spend some time together, for sure. Then after that, it was also asked if there were any other relationships he'd like to explore with his character. I would like to see more, and I don't know if this is going to happen, but I would like to see more with actually Ralph and Joe West. I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff there because Joe's known Ralph longer than anybody, actually, I would say. I mean, certainly as long as Barry's known him, and he knew him way back when when he was still on you know, CCPD before Barry got him fired, <laughs> before all that stuff. So I would actually like to see some scenes with Joe and Ralph, you know, I think I think Joe understands him more than maybe anybody did, at least initially, certainly. I'd like to see more of that. I don't know if it's going to happen, but... Hey. I thought it was very interesting getting a chance to talk to Danielle Nicoletta, of course, plays Cecile Horton on The Flash, and of course, coming up for season five, she was asked, what aspect of her character is she hoping to explore more this season? I'd, I'd really like to explore what the other side of... Um, Cecile's life is going to look like now. She's going to have to go back to work. And being the district attorney and having a newborn, it, not to like get too serious about it, but women do that all the time. They have babies and then they go back to work because they do important jobs that matter and they juggle it. And I'd like to see, I'd like to actually experience that on the show, having Cecile and Joe both have to juggle going back to work and dealing with a newborn and, you know, the occasional metahuman trying to destroy the world. But somebody's got to watch the baby because that's what every family goes through. One of my favorite things from this past season as well, and it sounds like it was Danielle's too, was the relationship between Cecile and Harry that came about last season. So she talks about that a bit. It's my favorite thing in the whole entire world. And it happened completely organically because Tom Cavanaugh is wonderful and funny and just the light of my day. And it, it was something that honestly was just kind of like a one-off scene. And I think what happened was we ended up having so much fun while we were shooting it. I think it translated to the producers. And I, I, the, one of the producers texted me and said, like, we're all sitting around watching the dailies because you guys are so ridiculous together. And it sort of um, grew from there. And it, it really is something that Tom and I are both hoping gets to continue into this next season even though, as per usual, he will be a new version of Harry. Um, hopefully this new version of Harry and District Attorney Cecile Horton um, will get on as well as they did, because it's super, super fun for us. Next up, it's the man himself, Grant Gustin, of course, The Flash, and I had to ask him right when he sat down, we all know the new villain is not going to be a speedster so what's the new challenge going to be like this season so we kind of know that this new villain is also not going to be mad at we were told that earlier on and it's going to be a little bit more of a physical challenge for you this time around so what has that been like what's that going to be like uh yeah i don't we haven't really gotten to uh, the big bad i mean usually we don't cross paths until like five or episode five or six you know um so i don't know if that's how formulaic it'll be this year but we haven't crossed paths yet um, I've met the actor who's playing the Big Bad. I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, it's a kind of off-the-wall casting um, in a cool way. Um, and it's, yeah, dark. It's kind of like more like uh, Zoom in the sense that he's fucking terrifying. Um, <laughs> but he's not a speedster. Uh, 
Yeah, and I guess, yeah, he's not a meta at all. Um, maybe. I guess that's what they told you guys? They just said he wasn't a speedster. Not a speedster, yeah, because yeah, I'm not really sure what his meta story... I don't know too much about the character, to be honest. Um, but he's, yeah, it's going to be... We, we shot a teaser that should have aired um, in the finale, and they saved it for the first episode. Oh. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's cool. It's a kind of uh, dark... Yeah, we, it's, it's, it's scary. I don't want to give too much away, but it's going to be cool. Next up, someone asked him to talk about the family dynamic with Nora early on this season. And if you listen close, it actually features a little bit of a cast member crashing the party during the question. Well, we kind of quickly see, and we kind of saw some last year. I don't know if you picked up on it. Like, she, Nora was kind of avoiding Iris and was kind of cold towards her. Um, and we see a lot more of that when we pick back up, that she's kind of extra clingy towards Barry. Um, and a little distant towards Iris, um, but Iris really wants to connect with her and is really excited that she's here. And Barry's kind of being a little more um, cautious at first because uh, he, you know, he feels that first of all we've had people lie to us before about who they are, and then they turn out to be somebody else. Um, but we kind of both feel like it's her, like just our gut tells her that this is really our daughter. Um, and so then Barry's kind of worried about helping her and how to um, kind of hone her powers, why she's here to begin with, how to get her back to her time. Um, but yeah, hey. Hey, man. You doing anything? You want to hang out? Just an interview. You want to hang out? I can't right now. On a oh, clock, okay. dude. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just go through time. That's not the time. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um... <laughs> I think in a heart, a kind of a heartbreaking aspect of it too is uh, Barry's kind of had, felt like you know he's had a lot robbed from him in life, and I mean he, I think his, his mom was murdered because of these powers and because of time travel, and that's why he grew up with his dad in prison, and now he's worried that his daughter showing up as a 24, five-year-old or whatever that she um, this could be taking away from the future. It's like, are we gonna like, I mean. He's always wanted a family. He's always looked forward to like having that kid with Iris and like being there for the sonogram and being there when she's born. And and now he's worried that like how what will this affect? And I mean, she could if she does the wrong thing, like she could make it so she never exists in the future. So um, it's kind of scary for Barry too. But I think Iris is mostly excited that her. They have a daughter, and she seems awesome, and she wants to hang out with her. Next up, and I thought that this was a really good question that was asked, and that is, does Barry see himself as a father with Nora this season? Um, I don't know. I don't know that he thinks of it in those terms either yet. Do you know what I mean? Because this person is an adult, and uh, he sees himself in her for sure, and he sees Iris in her for sure, which is kind of surreal, obviously. Um, and, you know, he's got some paternal tendencies towards her, and she clearly needs him and is wanting something from him, but she, Barry doesn't really know, again, why she's here, or where this is coming from, why she seems so desperate and clingy towards him, and so I think he's just kind of taking it as it comes and being careful, but trying to help at the same time. Um, but it's not really, I don't think he thinks of it as like, I gotta parent this kid, you know? It's like, how can I help? But 
I don't think he's like, now I got to be a dad. Yeah, yeah. We go from dad to mom because Candace Patton, Iris herself, sat down and somebody asked her how Iris is actually dealing with her daughter being so distant early on. I think it's something she's going to have to contend with for a while, this idea that her and her daughter are not on the best of terms and then watching her be so in love with her father and want to spend so much time with them. Um, you know, Iris didn't have a relationship with her mother and not a very good one. And so I think her knowing that her and her own daughter don't get along kind of feeds into this fear that maybe she's not a great mother in the future and maybe she's repeating some of the same mistakes that her mother does in the future. So that's something she's going to have to kind of um, deal with over the next season. Looks like another change is coming up for Iris this season on The Flash. And somebody asked if we're going to be seeing more of the journalistic side of Iris this season. Yeah, I think that's the plan. I've been told that we're getting back into the journalism aspect of Iris, which I've always been excited about. I think that's how we know her from the comics. I think that's one of her greatest strengths. I also think journalism is an extremely important thing right now in our culture and our time, like what the, the time that we're living in. I think we can tell great stories about journalists and journalism. Um, and so I'd like to see them do that with Iris. Um, but yeah, I don't think she'll completely disappear from Team Star Labs. I think she'll still be a big, big part of that team and helping them. But she's going to be a reporter, hopefully. Yeah. So that's not the only change to the family that's coming up for The Flash this year. So I had to ask Candace about Iris, you know, being a big sister now, adding a new baby to the family with Joe and Cecile. Not only do you, you also have another chance to be a big sister, Iris does. Yeah. Baby coming along. Talk yeah. about what that's going to be like in the early on. I have no idea what they're doing with that storyline. Like, Joe has a baby. Um, which is crazy. So Iris is a has a half-sister, which is really interesting, while she's also dealing with her own daughter. So there's a lot of family dynamics that, that are being brought up um, this season, and I'm sure Iris and Barry will get a lot of advice from Joe on being a parent and what being a parent looks like and loving your children through their mistakes and their trials and tribulations. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of these storylines will overlap in the next season. We got a quick chance to talk to Carlos Valdez, who of course plays Cisco, and Tom Cavanaugh, the great Harrison Wells. And the first question that was asked was for both of them, and that is, hey, what can we expect from both of you guys this season? He's going to have a great journey. Yes, I am going to have a great journey. And I am going to play various humans. One of them will be will debut very soon, next mm -hmm. episode, Sherlock Wells. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what do you care? That's how you're going to do it? <laughs> Both. It's more my business, not yours. Does, doesn't that mean beef? Ah, well. Both? Isn't you're still here? Isn't that beef? I'm so bored of you. Uh, so, uh, what we thought on this show is that, you know, we've got a lot of stuff to solve this year. We And, you know, we feel like a lot of these storylines are mer merging and dovetailing. And we might need somebody that can help this genius solve them. So, we're creating this Sherlock Wells, Sherlock Holmes type of character, putting it on here a little bit because we're not quite sure this guy can be trusted. 100% uh, so means real. Yeah, okay. I'm giving you solid gold. You're not even writing it down. I don't have to. I have that fancy <laughs> I know, I set you up. That's called a setup, my uh, friend. <laughs> Maybe you haven't heard, but Tom Cavanaugh is directing the 100th episode. Todd might have mentioned that a little bit early on. So I asked him to actually talk about directing the 100th episode, and you know, Tom, it gets hilarious. And you're directing the 100th episode, right? So no pressure there. <laughs> What? <laughs> I'm what? Like right? Towel. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
the hundredth. I thought you said I'm directing a hundred episodes. No, you're directing the hundredth, the show on the CW. Oh, oh good. I mean, if you want to that's a show. Yeah. Um, yes, I am. My way of directing The Flash is simply this. It's like, action. Cut. Brilliant. <laughs> and then I just ride their coattails to victory. I point the camera at them. I get out of the way. I watch them be their immense talent that they are. And then I just, you know, go have a sandwich. Yeah, literally. It's nice work if one can get it. And is a sandwich waiting for you? Yeah, he makes me sandwiches. Well, actually, we, we, we have hardly... But he puts them on the hot... Yeah. Th- yeah, he puts them really high up yeah. so that I'm not eating too much sandwich and getting... Unhealthy, but then Hartley goes, that's why you hired a tall guy, so you can grab me the the top shelf. You know, one thing that I took away from chatting with the cast and producers of The Flash at San Diego Comic-Con was everybody seemed to mention how this season feels more like season one. High stakes, but still lighthearted and still humor. And I think that there was that happened in bits and pieces last year, but I still think things have been pretty dark on The Flash recently, so I'll be very interested to see if we do get more of a season one vibe, we we know who the villain is now. It's not really a secret like it was at San Diego Comic-Con. We know that Cicada is going to be the villain. So it's more of a physical threat for Barry this time around. But, I mean, it, uh, clearly creepy. So it's hard not to be a little bit dark when you're working with a villain like that. But I'm very interested to see where things are going to be going and how the onion gets peeled with why Nora is back and what's going on with that this season. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Thanks again to Warner Brothers and DC for letting me sit down with the cast and producers of The Flash at San Diego Comic-Con. You want to find out more about our show, any past interviews, anything like that, go to downandnerdypodcast.com. That's the best place to do that. You can also follow us on social media, facebook.com slash downandnerdy, and trying to keep up with the breaking news from New York Comic-Con at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram as well. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.